Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Amen. Praise God. Isn't the Lord good? I don't know if you have realized it or not. I think you probably have, but just four more days after today, and we are going to say goodbye to 2020 and hello to 2021. And there's going to be a brand new year, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm just so grateful and thankful that, that we get to start each new day uh, with the Lord, being in his presence, in his word, in prayer. Well, that's what we're doing today. We're starting a brand new week, first day of the week, and we're starting it in God's presence with the people of God, praising him, thanking him, worshiping him. And we are going to have an incredible time at the beginning of this new year. Some great things are planned. There's going to be a time of corporate prayer and fasting that we're going to be participating with other, other parts of the church, not only OSC, but around the world as we seek the face of God, as we draw near to him. And I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, right now, I can say it with all the authority of the word of God, that if you are closer to Jesus than you've ever been before, this will be the best year you've ever had in your life. You can draw near to the Lord. I believe God wants to bless you. I believe that there are people who are going to be debt-free in 2021. I believe God is going to give you ideas. I believe God is going to bring new levels of freedom and deliverance into your lives, into your families. I believe that relationships will be healed. I believe that God wants to prosper you on your job. God wants to make things last longer and deliver you from repair bills. I believe that God wants to just do incredible things for each and every one of you. And I'm excited because I know that with the Lord, everything, it just, it, there, it, there's just a newness about following God, about, about walking in obedience to, uh, with him and seeing all that he opens up for each and every one of us. I was reading just this week in Revelation chapter two and chapter three, and I was struck all over again by how that emphasis in those two chapters as Jesus is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. And this refrain comes at the end of each of those letters, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. There was a time in my life when I would pray for people and I'd say, Lord, just remove this problem from their lives. Remove this obstacle. And a long time ago, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, quit praying like that. Quit praying that obstacles and difficulties will be removed and instead start praying that they'll be strengthened beyond their own ability and that they will become stronger and stronger and will overcome that they'll be more than conquerors and will walk with their foot upon the neck of the enemy and rise up in victory in every area of their life. And that's what I believe 2021 is going to be for you and for your family. I believe that that uh, difficulties and problems and circumstances that have hindered you and troubled you and just been, been a, a weight to you in the past are going to be broken, that the anointing of the Lord is going to rest upon you, that there's going to be peace in your home, joy in your heart, and that you are going to see God do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or even imagine as you follow the Lord and as you draw near to the Lord. So as I was just thinking about this new year and all of the new things that God 
that I believe God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives and in our families and, and here in our church. I, I, I just, that refrain kept going over and over about overcomers and overcomers. And I believe that God wants to bring people from a place of bondage to a place of victory, from a place of, of bondage to a place of freedom, uh, from, from one level of freedom to the next level of freedom. How many of you know that the Word of God says that He's changing me from glory to glory? And we're going to go from this glory to this glory and from this glory to this glory. And, and he is going to continue that process of transformation and victory in our hearts and in our lives. And so I just, you know, as I was praying and thinking about this, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to just jump into the deep end of the pool. And so I have a message that I believe is going to apply to everyone in one way or another. But at the first, you're just going to have to hang with me for a minute because I believe God wants us to know that there is victory over every bondage and victory over every addiction. And I just want to talk to you about overcoming addictions in our lives. Would you join with me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to break and destroy every kind of bondage, every kind of stronghold. I thank you for opening prison doors in our hearts and our minds and our emotions and for freeing those who've been captive. God, I thank you for breaking us free from worry, for delivering us from, from the habit and the addiction of negative thinking. I thank you, Lord, for also breaking every form of bondage that the enemy would use to try and hinder us or keep us from walking in the fullness of all that you have for us. I thank you for your help and your grace today. I thank you for speaking to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said Amen, amen, amen. So, this, you know, we're entering the time of the year where people talk about turning over a new leaf and they talk about New Year's resolutions and, and we all know how that works, usually about a week or two, maybe three weeks at the outside and, and we've forgotten all about the resolutions we've given up. And you know, the, there, there is a truth that we need to know and acknowledge and that is that if we try to change our outside circumstances without changing our heart, without changing the motivation in our heart and, and the heart issues, all of our outside schedule changes, diet changes, habit changes are doomed to failure. Something has to change deep inside of us, something in our heart. And, and when I read through the New Testament, I find that, that the Apostle Paul really deals with this, especially when he gets to Romans chapter 7. And in chapter 6, he tells us we're free from the yoke of bondage. Sin does not, it will not have dominion over us. We're free from the bondage of sin. And then he goes right into chapter 7, and Paul, Paul echoes those words that all of us have felt in our heart. Here I've got a heart for God. I want to please God. I want to live right. And, and I have all these good intentions, but I still find myself doing the wrong things. And I still find myself thinking the wrong things and saying the wrong things. But I, I want to do right. And I want to do right. And Paul finally cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can set me free? Who can help me? And thank God that after Romans chapter 7, there's Romans chapter 8. Come on, somebody, help me out tonight, this morning. There is Romans chapter 8, and he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, in Romans chapter 7, listen to what the apostle writes. He says, I find this law at work that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
And I, I, you know, when I, when I picture this in my mind, I picture one of those old cartoon, uh, Saturday morning cartoon characters when I was growing up and there would be somebody and there'd be a, 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 a little angel with a halo on, on one shoulder and then a little devil with a pitchfork on the other shoulder. And one angel would be whispering, do the right thing, do the right thing. And the other one would be like, oh, but it's so much fun to do the wrong thing. So go ahead and do the wrong thing. And, and sometimes maybe you felt that maybe you've heard those voices, those competing voices that are just going back and forth. And this is, this is a, a, a picture of what Paul is describing here. He says in verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner. And Paul says here, uh, there's, I, I want to do what is right, but I find myself continuing to do the things that I know I shouldn't be doing. How many of you just sitting here this morning could say that you know somebody, you know somebody in your circle of, of acquaintances or friends, you know somebody whose life has been messed up by addiction? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? It's a plague. It's just, you know, it's swept across our nation. Addictions of every, every kind. How many of you would say, Pastor Paul, I'm here this morning. I'm an addict. Anybody? Anybody? When we think of addicts, when we think of addictions, it's usually somebody else, isn't it? There's a stigma attached to that word. There's a stigma. Generally, we think of gambling or alcoholism or drug addiction or something like that. And, and you know, it's kind, of, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like the two brothers who got into an argument. They were, their mother told them to clean their room, room up and clean their closet. And the one brother said to the other, get your junk out of the closet so there's room for my stuff. How many of you realize that the only difference between junk and stuff is ownership? You know, you've got junk, I've got stuff, you know, and, and so, so don't, don't turn me off and think, well, he's talking about addictions today and I'm not an addict because you're sitting there thinking, I don't do crack. It's been a long time since I've done crack. I'm not, I'm delivered. I'm free from that. I don't do crack anymore. But you might be addicted to Facebook or you might be addicted to Instagram or maybe you get the shakes if you haven't been able to get to your phone in a little over an hour. And so we're just going to touch on all of that stuff, aren't we? Because God wants us to be free from everything that would hinder us or capture our attention and keep us away from the incredible things that he wants to do for us. I, I actually Googled addictions, you know, and, and found all kinds of things that are classified as addictions. Uh, who knew food can be an addiction? Well, you know, I guess I knew that, but I'm in denial because that's, that's one of my spiritual gifts is eating. But, uh, you know, there food addictions, binge eating. Obviously, we think of drugs and alcohol. We know pornography can be an addiction, sexual addiction. There's gambling, social media. And, uh, and there, there's even a category, internet addiction. There are people who are addicted to plastic surgery. This one just blew me away, but some of you are guilty. I know you are. There is such a thing as lip balm addiction. Some of you are feeling right now for your chapstick. Just, you just got to be sure it's right there. And, and you're just, it, it's a comforting thing just to feel that little tube. And you know it's there. You can use it at the end of the service. But not while I'm preaching. Okay. There's online gaming. Stanford University actually actually said this is a very real thing 
and please just look straight at me. Don't look at anyone else. There is such a thing as shopping addiction. Don't look at anybody. Shopping addiction, it is a real thing. We call it retail therapy in my house. Now, here's one that should not come as a surprise. There is an addiction to chocolate. Chocolate. Oh, help me, Jesus. Uh, some people are addicted to compulsive exercise. Just compulsive exercise. They, you know, they, they get that adrenaline rush. Uh, some people are are compulsive, or we could use that word, addicted to lying. Just lying. Lying even when they don't need to lie. Have you ever met anybody who was like that? They, they would say good morning, and you'd have to say, wait a minute, and you'd go outside and look to be sure they were telling you the truth. You know, it's just, you know some people just, they've, it's become a part of them hoarding, hoarding. Let me, let me just mention one, you know, because, because I think God wants everybody to be free. We know that there are all kinds of physical addictions to chemical substances. And, and many times the devil will say, oh, well, yeah, it's not such a big thing. It's not a big thing. But how many of you know that if there's a link in a chain that refuses to be broken, that is not a weak link? Okay, even though the devil says, oh, it's not a big thing. It's not a big thing. And let me just mention a nicotine addiction, a nicotine addiction. I had, there was a lady in our church who had, God had delivered her from incredible, incredible types of bondage of numerous different type, types. She had spent years mainlining heroin. She'd spent years doing that. She said, Pastor Paul, I, when, when I realized what was happening to my health, what was happening to my family because of my heroin addiction, I, I just realized that I was destroying my life and destroying my family, and I quit. I just stopped. I just stopped. I got sick. I got over being sick, and I just quit. She said, honestly, that was not such a big thing. But when I tried to stop smoking, she said, I'm telling you, that was the toughest battle I ever had in my life. How many of you are thankful that, that when we come up against something that's stronger than us, that we have a God who's stronger than that thing that's stronger than us? We really do. And he's a God who loves us and wants us to live and walk in freedom. And so there is a cycle of addiction that people go through. And, it, and, and again, this, this applies to every form of addiction that, that is known to man. But there's this cycle of addiction. And it's really kind of a sad thing. It starts off where this addiction becomes a part of my identity. It's not just something that I do, but it's, you know, it's really a part of me. And I, I'll tell you, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who've been helped by going through 12-step programs. I appreciate those programs. I really do. And I, 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 I would encourage anybody who's having problems or difficulties, that's a good place to start. But I, there, there's one thing that I take exception to, and that is, that is when someone has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To, I think part of the devil's plan is to make your addiction a part of your identity, a part of who you are. And I just think it's a sad thing for someone who hasn't had a drink in 25 years to stand up and introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Paul Neal, and I'm, I'm an alcoholic. You know, I haven't drunk, you know, ever, but, you know, that's... That's uh, a part of my identity. And I want you to know that the word of God says that who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
you may, yes, yes, give God praise. You may have had, you know, some DNA passed down from your grandfather and your daddy, but God also has DNA. And when you are born again, you get part of his DNA. And we are brand new creations in Christ. He gives us new desires and the power to obey his word and to obey his command. That's who we are. That is our identity. I'm a child of God and I'm, I'm empowered by his Holy Spirit. The second step in this cycle of addiction is that when I fail, I become increasingly hopeless. I try to break out. I try to act differently. Just very similar to what Paul describes in Romans 8. But when I fail, it's just another, it's just another failure on top of another failure on top of another failure. And I become increasingly hopeless. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that that is part of the work of the enemy to steal away hope from people's lives. The word says over and over and over in numerous places that if we put our trust in the Lord, that we will overflow with hope. Paul writes in Corinthians that God is the God of hope, that he fills us with hope, and that we will overflow with hope. But this cycle of addiction brings us to a place where failure after failure brings us to a place of increasing hope hopelessness. And then the third step is this. Any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. If there's any negatives, any downsides, if anybody tries to point it out, then I immediately become defensive. And everybody knows that a good defense is many times an offense. And so you may, you may react and, well, you're not perfect either. You know, you got problems too. And, and there's that kind of a, a dynamic that, that can take place and that can go on. And then the fourth step in this cycle of addiction is that a person begins to lose their life. They literally begin to lose their life and they come to a place where they begin to think, you know, this is not how life should be. This is not how I expected my life to be at this point in my life. I thought things would be different and here I am, I'm struggling with this. And, and I just, you know, this sense of hopelessness is just increasing. And then, then the final step in this cycle of addiction is that I ease my pain by going back to my next fix and I click again, or I spend again, or I eat again, or I drink again, or whatever. How do you stop that? How do you break that? How do you get out of that once and for all? And I want you to know you have to change your heart. It's not a matter of just, just making up my mind and gritting my teeth and exercising willpower and changing my outward behavior. My heart needs to be changed. And here's where it gets difficult because most of us don't really want changed lives. We just want changed situations. Okay? So I don't want to work out. I just want big muscles. I don't want to stop eating. I just want to be skinny. Isn't that, isn't that our human nature? Isn't that where we live? So, and, and so, you know, we think, you know, addiction is about your behavior. But can I just tell you addiction? Addiction really is not the problem. Addiction is a symptom to the problem. It is a symptom of the problem. And so, you know, we ask the question, what is the problem then? If, if my addiction is not the problem, what is the problem? There's something deeper. There is a bigger issue. And, and here's what I want to talk to you about today. 
that the real problem is not the addiction. The real problem is idolatry. Anything that is bigger than Jesus, anything that is more important than him in my life, anything that takes priority and preeminence over him in my life, sets itself up to be more important than God in my life. It is idolatry. Whatever is on the throne of your heart, whatever you worship, it is idolatry. I'm sure I didn't go blind. I think you guys are still there. Just holler at me or something. Just, there we go. There you are. I can see again. That's wonderful. There's only one who is worthy of our worship. There's only one who is worthy of our total and complete surrender, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to look with me very quickly at Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, and I want to begin in verse 9, and we're going to just quickly skip down through some of the verses in this chapter. Isaiah is writing, I'm reading from the NLT, he says, How foolish are those who manufacture idols? We would all agree with that, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, that's a foolish thing to manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. Even something like the golden calf made out of solid gold. It's really, it's really worthless when it comes to providing any help, any, uh, any victory, providing any peace, any relaxation or peace. It, it's, it's worthless, absolutely worthless. And he goes on, he says, the people who worship idols don't know this. They don't know this. They think that it really will help, and they, they don't know that it is actually worthless. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit. Let's skip down to verse 14. He's talking about about people who cut down trees and how they use these trees in different ways. He said they cut down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine and the forest to be nourished by the rain. And then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. And with that fire, he warms himself and he bakes his bread. And then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it And makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. And what he's saying is he he becomes addicted to it. He becomes addicted to this thing that he's made with his own hands. Let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with making a fire. Nothing wrong with baking bread. Those are all legitimate things. And, And if we use the things that God has given us in life in a legitimate way, that's fine. But you can cross a line with almost anything. You can cross a line whether it be money or sports or shopping or eating or, 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 or sexual behavior, you can cross a line and, and it, it becomes an idol in our lives. He continues on in verse 16. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. And he says, oh, that fire feels so good. And again, here's the legitimate use of this wood that he's cut down. Cooking, eating, keeping warm. It's not wrong to feel good by this. It's not wrong to be warmed by this. But then look at verse 17. Then he takes what's left and he makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. And there he's crossed the line. There he has crossed. He's taken something and he's gone beyond the legitimate use of that thing. And he has turned it into an idol. He's crossed a line. Now he's worshiping it. Now he's, he's praying to it. Now he's saying, you're my God. Now he's saying, rescue me. And, and look at verse 18. He says, such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed. They cannot see. Their minds are shut. 
and they cannot think. They become so emotionally attached to this thing, they can't even think straight about it. They, they have a hard time acknowledging this is a problem. This is, a, this is creating issues in my personal life, in my family, in my finances, with my health. They cannot even think about these things. There is nothing wrong, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a ball game. But if your team loses and you're still depressed a week later, maybe you have crossed a line. Maybe. Maybe. Look at verse 19. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. He never stops and says, he never says, it's just a block of wood. People don't just stop and say, it's just a piece of leather. It's just a ball. It's just a donut. It's just Facebook. They never stop and think. They never stop and think. He, he burned half of it for heat. He used it to, to bake bread and roast meat. How can the rest of it be a God? How can he bow down and worship this? Look at verse 20. This poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that cannot help him at all. And he cannot, look at this, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? He cannot bring himself to even ask that. And I, I, just, I would suggest that that is a real good question that we learn how to ask for things in our lives that are, that are creating issues, that we learn how to hold that thing before God and say, God, is this thing an idol? Is this an idol? That we just come to that place where we say, is this an idol? Now, I don't want you to ask me if it's an idol because I'm not going to tell you. You need to ask God. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. I promise you he will tell you the truth. And he will speak loud and clear. There'll be no mistaking what he says to you. He will, he will speak to you, to you in a way that you can understand. And I think it's important that we come and we ask him, Lord, is, is Facebook or gaming or shopping, is it too important? Again, there's nothing wrong with those things used in a legitimate way. But has it become too important to me? Am I so consumed with these things that I no longer have time in the Word? I no longer have time to pray? I, I can no longer hear the voice of God because I'm so big. I'll get up in the morning, first thing in the morning, no, instead of prayer or the Word. No, i got to check Facebook. i got to check. i got to, you know, I like what Pastor Nick said. i got to check my feed. You better be careful what you're feeding on. Get your face out of Facebook and get it in the book. Get it in the book of life. Has, has, now, I'm just going to go ahead, since you encouraged me, I'm going to go ahead and meddle a little bit now. Okay, I'm going to meddle. Has my family taken priority over you, Lord? Has my family, and now I'll tell you what, that's a struggle. That's a struggle for grandparents. It can really be a tough thing for grandparents because, well, just because. When you get there, you'll understand. It, that, that, that's a question we need to ask. God has baseball or soccer? Oh. Or LSU football? Or the New Orleans Saints? Has it crossed a line? Do I think about food too much? Have I let this thing become a God in my life 
we need to ask the Holy Spirit. And we need, if, if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on some of those things, then we need to dethrone it. We need to get it off of the throne. And we need to dethrone those things and get it, get free in our heart and in our lives. And many times, many times we have not dealt with it severely enough. We've not dealt with it uh, we've we've raised our hands and we we've offered you know a prayer here and a prayer there but but we've not really attacked it with the energy and with the determination that is necessary to really dethrone something like that so jesus sent his disciples out to take care of of ministry and they went out and every place they went they preached the gospel they had great success and they came back and told jesus about their successes but there's one particular time when the disciples did not have success and they met with failure. And if you'll look with me in Matthew chapter 17, I just want to point out this ministry attempt that ended in failure and how, how, what we can learn from this because I think it's really, really important. Jesus sent the disciples out. He had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He came back down and, and I'm going to pick up in verse 14 Matthew 17, verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus says in verse 17, O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. So Jesus, I want you to notice in verse 17, Jesus, I, he uses two words. And these are two very, very important words, unbelieving and perverse. And, and he points out, he says, this is the cause for your failure in ministry at this time. You're unbelieving and you're, you are perverse. And this is, this is what I want to clue in on. Number, if you really, really want to be free, if you want to dethrone any idols that may be in your life, then you need to pay attention to this. An unbeliever is anyone who attempts to do something without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to do this on myself. I'm just going to step out and do it because I can do it. And, and I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with us using our abilities and our, our energy. And, and the Word of God tells us that we are to make every effort. But ultimately, it is the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives that dethrones idols that have, that have been set up and are now exercising control in my life and in my heart. So this is, this is very, very important. An unbeliever is someone who acts in their own strength without the power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without even asking God. I'm just going to do it because, because I can do this, because I can handle it. It's someone who has lost hope. It's someone who has lost faith. It's someone who's not believing anymore. That's what an unbeliever is. And that happens because you, you become an unbeliever in, in different, it starts off small at first. There's just one little area over here, and then it's another area, and then it kind of grows and spreads until finally it takes all the ground that it can possibly take. And, and an unbeliever, people become unbelievers because we are not connected to God enough. I need to be more connected to God. And when I am not connected to God enough, the result of that, the fruit of that is unbelief. I just don't believe God can do that. I don't believe that, well, I believe he can, but I just don't know if he will. 
I don't know if God, you know, would be, would be gracious to me like that. I know he was to people in the Bible, but unbelief, you see how it's a little, you know, it's the nose under the, under the, the camel's nose under the tent. It's just a little at a time, and then it's a little more, and then a little bit more. That other word is also important, that word perverse, and that's not a word that we use a whole lot in ordinary conversation throughout our day, but perverse simply means that I'm too connected to the world. Unbelief means I'm not connected enough to God. Perverse means I'm too connected to the world. I'm too committed to the world. And just think about this for a minute. Any relationship that you want to improve, it takes both of these. It takes both of these. Even even human relationships. You want to connect with the one that you want to be with. and, And so you do everything in your power and your might to strengthen that connection. And you disconnect from other old relationships that would compete with that that new relationship that you want to be the priority. How great is it to be married to someone who keeps old teddy bears and t-shirts and photographs of their former boyfriends and girlfriends? Not very. That's not very great at all. No, so you want to connect to God, but you want to disconnect from the world. You want to disconnect. Can I just, can I just tell you sometimes, I, I have seen this, and I know this to be true, that sometimes people go back to things. They make an attempt to be more connected to God, and then they go back, and they fall back, and they, they're caught in that cycle of addiction. And can I just tell you, can I just remind you that the Word of God says that He will deliver us from our enemies, not from our friends, And you need to be sure that what you're wanting to leave is no longer your friend, but it has become your enemy and you're able to call it an enemy and look at it as though it were an enemy trying to take your life and destroy your family. And when you begin to hate that thing like an enemy, God has promised he will deliver you from your enemies, but not from your friends. So. How do I deal with unbelief and how do I deal with perverseness? I'm I'm glad you asked because Jesus goes on and he tells us. The disciples came to Jesus in private, verse 19, and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. And I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. "Aren't Aren't there some behaviors that just seem like a mountain? It just seemed immovable. It just seems like there, there's no, you can, with just a small, just a, the, a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you in verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we have unbelief and perverseness, and the answer is prayer and fasting. How do I deal with unbelief and perverseness? I deal with it through prayer and fasting. Prayer connects me with God and fasting disconnects me from the world. It disconnects me from the screaming voice of my flesh saying, feed me, pamper me, take care of me. I'm more important than anything else. And fasting disconnects me from that screaming voice of my flesh and the world and prayer connects me to God. And when I talk about prayer, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep or Lord bless this food that we're about to partake for the nourishment of our body. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about prayer with all your heart. I'm talking about I'm, I'm not I'm not talking about those 911 prayers, you know, where uh, the 911 prayers where we just pray when when I need an I'm in an emergency and I'm just, you know, crying out, God deliver me, help me, save me. But but prayer where we pray with all our heart. Jeremiah 29 says this. He said, "If you look for me wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with all of your heart, with all of your heart, not just a part of your heart, not just a piece of your heart, but all of your heart, the way you were anticipating what is in that package that I can't open until Christmas day. What is it? What is it? I wonder what it is. I felt it. I shook it. I weighed it. I don't know. What is it? And God wants us to learn how to seek him with all of our heart. In Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us, he gives us another clue about seeking him with all of our heart. He tells us to be filled, to be filled. And this is a, this is a, a, a word that means to continually be being filled. It's not just a one-time thing, but it, it, it is a continual process of be being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't, don't get full of wine. That just leads to debauchery. But instead, instead, have you ever noticed, you know, sometimes people drink and if they drink enough, they say things they wouldn't normally say. They do things they wouldn't normally do. You ever notice that? And, and Paul is making a comparison here. You get full enough of the Holy Spirit, you'll say things you've never said before. And you'll do things that you haven't been able to do before. And it, it will, you will be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. If people drink enough, I just always found this to be a really curious thing. I, I've never experienced this, but I just always found this to be a curious thing. If people drink enough, they actually pass out. They actually pass out. And when they wake up, nobody ever says, it's such an amazing thing. You, you cut your neighbor's grass and painted the orphanage. It's never anything like that. It's always something, I don't want to hear what I said. I don't want to hear what I did. It's embarrassing. It's, but not when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, good things come out. Life comes out. Life flows from that. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us that we can pray the Holy Spirit can pray through. There are times when I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know if it's his problem or her problem. I know they're having a problem, but I don't know if I should pray that the circumstance should change or they should change. Or I, I just don't even know. I don't have enough information. And, and I can apply that to myself. There's times when I'm dealing with something. God, I don't know what the issue is in my own heart, in my own life. And God says that the Holy Spirit will pray through me. And here's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit will pray perfect prayers, perfect prayers, because it is, it's the, the spirit of God that is interceding through me. And he tells us, he tells us in Ephesians chapter four, this is a super important thing. He says, when you stumble, not if, but when you stumble, he says, be quick to repent. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live, but be, be quick to repent. You know what? There, there's a definition for this word repentance. I know many of you understand it means to turn around, but I think, I think another definition that I really like is this one. Repentance is when you're sorry enough to not do it again. That, that's what real repentance is. Repentance is when I'm, I'm sorry enough, I'm not going to do it again. And I want you to know Jesus is here today. And God wants to touch your heart and touch your life because he loves you. 
Because he loves you and he desires for you to be shaped and formed into the image of Christ, which means that you're going to be an overcomer. You're going to be more than a conqueror, that you are, you are going to tread on the lion and the adder. You're going to put your foot on the neck of the enemy. The devil's not going to be able to beat you down and take advantage of you any longer. The devil is going to run with panic in his eyes and terror in his voice when you wake up and begin to pray in the morning because you are tapping into a source of endless supply and God is going to going to fill you with his strength and power so that you can accomplish the work of the kingdom of God.